What a privilege it is to be able to worship with you here today at the Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was saying in Sabbath school class, it's been two years since I've been here. And a lot's happened in two years. And praise God, the church seems to be even growing in this two years since I was gone. See, a number of faces I don't remember seeing last time I was here. And visitors. Hello, visitors. I'm also a visitor. <laughs> it's wonderful. And it really warms my heart to see young people actively involved in ministry. We have two fine young deacons collecting the offering and passing out the microphone. I see that Julie and Charles' sons are technicians in the back room working on the sound and the video. Praise God for the opportunity to participate in serving God. Each one of us has a reason to serve God, and God calls us to serve him. Today we're going to talk about the maiden and the monster. The maiden and the monster. So if you please open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll start reading in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. But before we begin, let me just have one more word of prayer. So if you bow your heads with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit now in a very special way to touch our hearts. And so we ask now for your Holy Spirit. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been scared of monsters? I hear some laughs. Have you been scared of monsters? I have. I remember when I was a boy, I would always turn off the light switch at night and run as fast as I could to the bed because I knew there was a monster living underneath the bed and he might bite me. I imagined that there was a big, hairy monster down there. And my bed was my safe, secure citadel. But then something happened when I was about the age there of Vidal in the back, about 12 years old. That's right. Something happened. Let me just tell you first, though, that I love animals. I love animals a lot. And as a boy, I loved Oscar. Oscar was the biggest, sweetest kitty cat. Oscar was a bundle of orange fluff that just was asking to be cuddled. I loved Oscar. But one day, our home was invaded by a monster. My mother saw it first in the kitchen, a big, hairy rat. And she didn't want it in the kitchen at all. And when she talked about the rat, I became really scared. I didn't want to meet a monster rat in the dark. But one night, I was sleeping in my bed, and... I felt something brush against my face. It felt big. It felt hairy. I screamed, RAT! My dad came running really fast with a wooden baseball bat. What is it, Andy? RAT! I I whimpered in my bed. Dad turned on the light. He looked around. Nothing. He went to the corridor. Nothing. He began to doubt my story. Andy... How could a rat climb into your bed? But I was sure it was a rat. I'd felt it on my face. 
Well, after that, nobody saw any rats anymore in the house. And my fear gradually began to subside. But something really strange happened. My cat Oscar stopped coming to my room. He stopped sleeping in my bed at nighttime. I couldn't understand what had happened to my favorite cat. But then one day it hit me. There had never been a rat in my bed. It was Oscar. Oscar was my monster. Have you ever been afraid of monsters? Do you have monsters in your life? And was Oscar really a monster? Of course not. He was just a kitty cat. But in my fear, Oscar became the biggest, scariest monster in the whole world. In the same way, we might be afraid of monsters in our lives. What is your monster? Is it a person? Is it a situation? All of us deal every day with the monster of sin. It's a monster that wants to master our lives. And frankly, all of our monsters want to master our lives. But we have another master, and he wants to take us home. Today, the story of the monster and the maiden teaches us that things are not always as they may appear. Oscar was not what I thought he was. Mm. Or I should say the monster was not what I thought he was. Mm. And in fact, Second Kings 5 offers us an important lesson that perseverance and faith in our master, Jesus Christ, can turn any monster into a harmless kitty cat. Naaman looked like a monster. Let's read about him in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. At first glance, Naaman may not resemble a monster. He had many outstanding qualities. He was the captain of the army of Aram. Aram is another name for ancient Syria. Ram's resume was glowing. He was a valiant warrior, a great man, and highly respected. In short, Naaman was the man. And Naaman was the man because God had give him, given him victory over Israel. The Bible does not record any details about this victory, but Jewish tradition tells us that Naaman was the soldier whose arrow killed King Ahab in battle. You remember the story of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel? Ahab was in battle, and an arrow hit him out of nowhere, it seemed. He was in disguise, and he died. And his death turned the tide in favor of Aram. Aram and Israel had been fighting for quite a few years, and after that, Aram became a very big superpower. At the time of the story of Naaman, Ahab's son was probably the king of Israel, and the king of Aram was Ben-Hadad II. The time was about 900 years before Christ. Yes, the mighty, brave Naaman is portrayed as the man, but things were not how they appeared. 
After the glowing resume comes a very disturbing statement. Naaman was a leper. Biblical scholars debate the exact nature of Naaman's disease. But one thing is clear. It was incurable and it was deadly. If Naaman had lived in Israel, he would have been banished from society under Levitical law. But in Aram, he was allowed to hold high office and to mingle with the people. In a very cruel irony, Naaman's name means beautiful. Naaman's name means beautiful. But in contrast to his name, Naaman was stricken with an ugly disease that was going to disfigure his face and his body and kill him. The first lesson that we can learn from the story of the maiden and the monster is to avoid jumping to conclusions. Things are not always how they appear. Naaman was the man, but he was a dead man. He was dying of leprosy. How often do we jump to conclusions? Just two days ago, I was at Sam's Club. I needed to fill up my car gas tank to make the trip here today. And I went to the pump, and I stuck in my membership card, and nothing happened. I took the card out, stuck it in again. It said, rejected. I thought, that's strange. I tried again. Rejected again. I took it out, looked for that magnetic strip, make sure it was the right one, right direction, stuck it in again. Rejected. I saw there was a button there on the gas pump to call for help. I pushed it. Nobody came. (laughs) So I tried again and again. And then I heard, beep, beep, beep. I looked around. There was a long line of cars waiting for my gas pump. I thought, fine. This card has failed me. It's a bad card. But why now? Why me? I was very tight on time, but I had to fill the tank. I only had 40 miles left in it, and I had to come here once again on Sabbath. So I drove the car back to the parking lot of Sam's Club, went inside to the information desk, and handed over my card. There's nothing wrong with your card, Lucinda told me. But if you want, I can give you a new card. Oh, I wanted. So she gave me a new card, and I went back to that gas tank pump thingy. And I stuck in the car, and I opened my wallet to pull out the card to put it in, and suddenly I realized that things were not as they appeared. I saw that there was nothing wrong with my Sam's Club card. I had been using my Costco card. (laughs) I had jumped to a wrong conclusion that this card was bad. In this case, jumping to a conclusion cost me only time and some personal dignity. But jumping to conclusions often has far worse results. Can you think of anybody in the Bible who jumped to conclusions? We had talked about one of those people today in Sabbath school class. How about Eve? When she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desirable to make one wise, she jumped to conclusion and she took from it and ate. And what happened because of her jumping to a conclusion? It opened the door to sin in our world today. Who else had jumped to conclusions in the Bible?
How about Jesus' disciples? They were sure that Jesus was going to become the king of Israel and drive out those hated Romans. And in fact, Judas Iscariot was so sure of it, he tried to force Jesus' hand. But when Judas saw that Jesus was crowned with cruel thorns instead of a glorious golden crown, he wouldn't have hung himself. He jumped to a conclusion, and it proved fatal to him. Simply put, jumping to a conclusion is false faith. It's a presumption. And we know that presumption is not anything that's going to save us. Now, Naaman looked like a monster, and not just because he had a dreaded, disfiguring disease. He also was a slave owner. Let's read on in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2. Now, the Armenians had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Bands of Naaman's soldiers raided quite frequently Israel, the settlements there, and took away things as they looted. On one of those raids, the soldiers returned with this little girl, the maiden of our story. It's not clear what happened to her parents. Perhaps they were killed in the raid. The Bible is also silent about whether this girl suffered severe drama or more moderate drama. We don't know, but we know that she must have suffered some, some kind of drama, trauma. We also don't know the girl's name or her age. She might have been around 10 or 11 years old. The Hebrew words used to describe the girl literally read, a little young girl. It's a very unusual construction in the Hebrew language, but it's clear she was very young. Little young girl. It's almost as if the author of the story is emphasizing the smallness of this girl in comparison to the largeness of her monster. She was a little child. He was a big adult. She was a slave. She w- he was a free man. She was poor. He was rich. She was not identified by name. He was not only identified by name, but it's clear that he'd also made a name for himself. We read that the little girl waited on Naaman's wife. Was she a good worker? The Bible speaks profusely about Naaman's skills, but not a word is said about the little girl. All we know is that she worked. She persevered with the duties that God had given her. The second lesson that we can learn from this story is that we need to persevere with our God-given responsibilities, even while facing monsters. We might feel as small as that little girl did next to her monster. We might feel as poor and as enslaved as the girl next to her monster. No one may even know our name or our work skills, but we need to follow the example of this little girl and keep on working. Don't allow the monster to master you. Indeed, we, we need to keep fulfilling the duties that God has given us to do. The Bible provides numerous examples of people who have persevered while facing monsters. Can you think of any? We talked about another one of those today in Sabbath school class, Moses. In fact, even Moses' parents persevered. 
They kept hiding their little baby boy for three long months because they were not afraid of the monster king who wanted to kill all the baby boys. And Moses, when he had grown up, persevered with those Israelites in the wilderness for 40 long years. David and Daniel, Jonah and Jesus, they all faced real-life monsters. David faced Goliath. Daniel faced lions. Jonah faced a giant fish who ate him. Jesus faced the monster of monsters, the devil himself in the wilderness. These heroes of old persevered with faith. Did the little girl in our story persevere with faith? Let's read on. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 3. So the little girl, she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were here with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. These are the only words spoken by the little girl in scripture. She does not show anger or depression or despair about her situation. Instead, she expresses sympathy and compassion for her monster. She says, I wish that my master, my monster, were with the prophet. Then he would cure him. The girl, of course, is referring to the prophet Elisha in Samaria. The prophet was the authorized spokesman for God. The prophet did not speak his own words, but the words that God had given him to speak. To Israel, Elisha was like God. The girl was essentially saying, I wish that my monster was with God. Then he would cure him. How did the little girl know about Elisha? You only have to turn back one chapter to 2 Kings chapter 4 to see all of the miracles that Elisha was doing in Israel in those days. The little girl's parents might have told her how a poor widow had taken her last jar of oil and gathered as many pots and pans as she could find and then poured that oil into those pots and pans until there were no more pots and pans to fill. Or there was a story about the miracle in which Elisha flew through meal into a poisonous pot of soup and nobody fell ill who ate it. Or the miracle about the 20 loaves of bread that multiplied and fed 100 men. Perhaps the little girl's favorite story involved a little boy much like herself. You remember this story. The boy was a miracle story in himself, the answer to a prayer by Elisha to a barren Shunammite woman. When the boy grew up a little bit, he died tragically. But the prayer of Elisha raised him back to life again. After hearing story after story about Elisha's miracles, this little girl knew for sure that Elisha could also help her master, Naaman. The third story that we can learn, the third lesson that we can learn from this story is that we need to have faith in God. When our monsters have us down, when we're at the end of our rope, we need to have the faith of this little girl and say, I wish that my monster were with God, then he would cure it. Something incredible happened because of this little girl's faith. Naaman went to his master, the king of Aram, and let's read what happened next in 2 Kings chapter 5. 
verse 4 and 5. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. I don't know about you, but my eyes are immediately drawn to this treasure trove that Naaman took with him. Ten talents of silver. So a talent of silver weighed 75 pounds. So ten talents of silver would be how much? That's right, 750 pounds of silver. That's about the same weight as that piano over there, by the way. That's a lot of silver. And then there's also gold and clothes on top of that. We don't know, by the way, how much that silver was worth back in those days at all, but we do know that King Ahab's father, Omri, paid two talents of silver to buy that whole hill where the capital of Samaria was built. So this was a lot of money being offered to Israel to help Naaman. Why did Aram's king send such an expensive gift. Urgency and love. Naaman was a beloved friend, and the king did not want to see his best soldier die of leprosy. In view of all this wealth, the question I have is this. Who do you think was the richest person in the story? The king, Naaman, or the little girl? Ah, I agree with you. The little girl. The little girl is richer than both Naaman and the king because her parents had given her the gift of faith in God. Faith in God is a treasure more precious than all the wealth in the whole world. Faith in God is a treasure that will last for eternity. The little girl probably had no idea about the impact of her faith. Because of her faith, Naaman learned about the God of heaven. Because of her faith, the king of Aram learned about the God of heaven. And faith breeds faith. Because of her faith, a seed of faith was planted in Naaman's heart. Oh yes, he wanted to jump to conclusions and didn't want to dip in that river Jordan as the prophet Elisha told him. But somehow, that faith he had overcame his presumption and he dipped in the river and he was cured of his leprosy. Because of the little girl's faith, Naaman became a convert to the God in heaven. The monster ended up having the faith of the little maiden. In fact, Naaman's faith was so vibrant that 900 years later, Jesus commended it as an example for you and for me today. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Because of her faith, the maiden turned the monster into something that was never even a monster. How did she do it? Despite her terrible situation, she did not jump to conclusions and think that her master was a monster. 
She was not intimidated by her size, by her age, or her status as a slave. Instead, she persevered, faithfully fulfilling the duties that God had given her to do. She had faith, and her monster was no more. Several years ago, I faced a monster at work. It started when a very trusted colleague came into my office and said to me, I heard that you skipped a meal with President Putin because of your religion. It was true. I had been invited to the home of Russian President Vladimir Putin for a meal on a Saturday. At the time, I worked as as the editor-in-chief of a newspaper in Russia. It was an enormous honor to be invited to have a meal with the president. And in fact, nobody from my newspaper had ever been invited to meet with the president before, much less have a meal with him. And I really wanted to go. But I didn't go because it was the Sabbath. Several months passed, and my colleague at work, I'll call him Steve, somehow heard about my decision. He was a senior editor at the newspaper, and he came to me, and he said, everybody is talking about this at the newspaper. They're wondering whether they can trust you as the editor-in-chief. I suggest that you call a staff meeting and explain your side of the story. His proposal seemed logical to me. There appeared to be an elephant, a monster, (laughs) in the room. The monster would probably cost me my job. I decided to call a staff meeting the next day. I figured that if I lost my job, at least all the journalists would learn about the Sabbath. So that night, I prayerfully prepared a speech. As I prayed, I achieved my mind and decided not to call a staff meeting. It would be very disruptive and probably we would have our production delayed at the newspaper as a result. So instead I decided to tell my speech to a small group of editors who met in my office every day to discuss the next day's newspaper. So the next day, oh, so so I, I made that plan and I prepared a speech and I prayed over the speech and I said to God, God, this speech is for your glory and and for you alone. Please bless it. But... If something is wrong with the speech, please stop me. The next day at 4 o'clock, the editors came to my office for the editorial meeting. And, as always, we talked about the stories that are going to appear on the front page the next day of the newspaper. We chose a main front page photograph. We talked about some of the other stories in the newspaper as well. And then the meeting began to draw to a close. Steve looked at me expectantly. I told him that I was not going to call the staff being instead talk to the editors, and he liked the idea. He looked at me expectantly, and I began to pray really fervently. And then I opened my mouth to begin my speech. At that moment, one of the newspaper photographers burst into the office, and he was waving a piece of paper in his hand. He said, look at this! We looked. He had found a new photograph for the front page, and he thought it was much better than the photo we had currently. So we looked at the picture, at the picture we discussed it for a little while, and we agreed it was a much better picture, so we changed the front page. At that point, the meeting had gone on longer than normal, and some of the editors got up to leave. I didn't understand what was happening. It didn't seem to be the right time to give the speech. So I didn't. That night at home, I rewrote my speech. I thought to myself, it's a good thing I didn't give the first speech. This new speech is much better. Mm-hmm. And then I prayed and said, God... Here is the speech for your glory. Please bless it, but if something's wrong with it, stop me. 
The next day, at the editorial meeting, again we went through the day's agenda for the newspaper, and as the meeting drew toward an end, again Steve looked at me, and I, again I began to pray really fervently. And I opened my mouth to begin the speech. And at that moment, one of the editors began to talk. So I waited patiently until he finished. And then I opened my mouth again. And then another editor began to talk. So I waited for her to finish. And I opened my mouth. And another editor began to talk. I couldn't understand what was happening. But you know something? It didn't seem to be the right time to give the speech. So I didn't. At home that night, I thought, well, I better write it again. Something was wrong with the speech. So I rewrote the speech again from top to bottom. And this time I was sure that God had stopped me from speaking because the new speech was a hundred times better than the last two speeches put together. (laughs) Again, I prayed and said, God, there's the speech for your glory. Please bless it. But if something's wrong with it, please stop it. Guess what happened? (laughs) The next day, again, I couldn't give the speech. I couldn't understand what was happening. Something seemed really strange going on. But I didn't rewrite the speech again. I gave up. (laughs) I decided that God didn't want me to give the speech for some reason. Steve grew sullen and angry. He began to send me threatening emails. You said you'd tell us what happened that Saturday when you skipped the meeting with President Putin. Why aren't you telling us? Are you a coward? Everyone's talking about you. They've lost confidence in you. You need to explain yourself. The monster seemed ready to eat me alive. I didn't know what to do. I prayed. And as I prayed, I decided to go talk to the publisher of the newspaper and tell the situation. I told her how I'd skipped the meal with President Putin because of the Sabbath. And I also told her that I had found a journalist who had attended the meal, and I had asked him to write a story about what had happened there, and we published the story in the newspaper. To my surprise, the publisher had no problem with my decision. She said to me, you know, Andy, if I accepted every invitation that I received, I had no time to do my work at all, and that's why I delegate. You delegated, and you got a story, so you did your job. Hmm. I was surprised. It was hard for me not to do anything more, but there was nothing more I could do about the situation at work. So I decided to just keep persevering with the job that God had given me to do and wait. Several months passed, and Steve found a job somewhere else. I stayed on at the newspaper for six more years. Shortly before leaving Russia to work for the General Conference, I found out quite by accident what had happened. It turned out that that journalist who I had asked to write the story for me from that meal had been really good friends with Steve. And he had told Steve about my missing the meal because of the Sabbath. Steve knew that if the other journalists at the newspaper found out about it, I would almost certainly lose my job. And he wanted my job. But he didn't want to gossip about me. So instead of telling them about what I had done, he tried to get me to break the news to them. If I had announced my decision to skip the meal, I almost certainly would have lost my job and Steve would have become the editor-in-chief. I had no idea. I was so glad that I had not jumped to conclusions. The monster was not what it had seemed to be. 
No one in the newsroom had been talking about me at all. I was so glad that I persevered in my job and waited on God with faith. God was faithful to me and saved my job. Do you have a monster in your life? Your monster might be a boss or a coworker or a teacher. Your monster might, might be a relative or even a church member. Your monster might be an illness like COVID-19. It might be a death. Your monster might be a sin that it seems is impossible to overcome. Sin is like Naaman's leprosy, a monster that is disfiguring God's image in us and leading us to certain death. But the story of the little girl Nathan teaches us that things are not always as they might appear. We need to make a decision not to jump to conclusions. You know, that fake faith, that leads, that's also presumption. We need to make a decision to persevere in doing our God-given duties, even if we are facing what seems to be a monster. And most of all, we need to make a decision to have faith. To have a faith that can move mountains and monsters. This is the saving faith that will take us home. My friends, one day soon, we will see a small cloud in the eastern sky. And that cloud will grow bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter. There will be a curve of a glorious rainbow over the cloud, and underneath it there will be lightning. And in the very center of that glorious cloud, we will see Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. I can imagine the little girl standing on earth with the crowd of the redeemed, looking eagerly at Jesus, waiting to be taken up to him. And I can hear Jesus saying to the little girl, Well done, my good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you want Jesus to speak these words to you? He will if we grab onto him with the faith of that little girl. All we have to do is ask, and it will be given to us. The same God who transformed Naaman's heart can transfer your monster into a harmless kitty cat. All we have to do is ask. Do you want to join me today in asking God to take over the monsters in our life? Do you want to join me in asking God for the faith of the little girl? Do you want to pray with me? I wish that my monster were with God, then he would cure it. If this is your desire, would you please raise your hand with me? Praise God. Let's pray, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray to you today the simple words of faith of the little girl in our story. If we wish that our monster were with you, then you would cure it. 
Please, Heavenly Father, give us the faith of the little girl. Help us not to jump to conclusions with fake, presumptuous faith, but to keep persevering in you with what you've given us to do and wait with you, wait upon you with faith. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.